Welcome to This Week in Craft Beer, the podcast, the weekly show where we interview the people making the magic happen in the UK craft beer scene. Sponsored by Beer Passport, the pocket-sized key to London's amazing craft beer scene. This Week in Craft Beer publishes the UK's leading craft beer newsletter every Monday morning by email. To subscribe for free, please visit www.thisweekincraft.beer. This Week in Craft Beer would like to thank our generous Patreon supporters Phantom Brewing Co, Bayonet Brewing Co, Dolphin Brewery, The Paper Mill Micropub, Berkshire Beer Box, The Small Batch Brewing Co, Belgium Blues Southampton, Doug Thayer, Robert Baker, Aid Bardi, The Brew Brothers, Paul Whelan, Bettina Cassidy, Forks Brewery, Claire Costa, James Cox, Craig Hatton, Steve Pratt, James Moss and John Mead. This Week in Craft Beer members can now get exclusive discounts and savings at some of the top UK craft breweries. If you're interested in saving money or simply want to help support us, then please visit our website at www.thisweekincraft.beer for more information and to join at just £1.99 per month. We hope you won't, but of course you can cancel this at any time. It's great to catch up with you, Will. How have you been? It's been exactly, believe it or not, exactly two years since we recorded to the week. Because, uh, yeah, December 2020, uh, 2021, a lot of water under the bridge since then. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, we keeping well. Thanks very much, uh, mm-hmm. Rob. Um, hope you've been keeping well, too. Um, Indeed, yeah. Yeah, it, I didn't, yeah, it feels like a long, well, it feels like a short time and a long time at the same yeah. time, if that makes sense. So <laughs> there's been a lot of change, a lot of, been a crazy couple of years with everything that's happened. So yeah, glad to, glad to still be here, uh, I guess. And yeah, we've we've seen quite a bit of growth as well, which has been great. I don't know if you've seen any more of our beer in your locality. I guess occasionally, yeah. No, I, I don't see it as often as I'd like to, but I do occasionally see it popping up. Yeah, <laughs> I guess there's mainly in, in GB. It's kind of mainly been Manchester and London that we've right. seen. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Sort of this the hubs of in the northwest and and the southeast. Yep. But yeah, so things have been going well. We've grown probably well over a hundred percent. So about. Yeah, I think probably 2021, I think we maybe did like only about 800 hectoliters or something. And this year, mm-hmm. about two and a half thousand. Um, oh, so it's been, it's been uh, quite a lot of change and growth. And we've also opened our tap room as well. So Yeah, so when we spoke last time, I think you had the keys, but hadn't actually opened. I think you're in the in the fitting out process, if I recall. Yeah, so it took a bit longer than expected. I think we were trying to get open actually for Christmas 21 and uh, didn't happen. So we got open in June 22. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of been transformational. That's been the biggest sort of change, I guess. Yeah. The first, it was the first new license in Belfast in 30 years. I know. I remember talking about that with you last time. Yeah. First uh, permanent tap room as well. So it's a satellite tap room because we couldn't, couldn't put one at the brewery, but. Right. Um, yeah, no, it's been it's it's been a revelation just in terms of having an outlet for oh, it's got to be yeah. and then also twenty for, taps. I was looking on your website this afternoon. Twenty taps. It's open seven days, literally all day, seven days a week. Pizzas from the oven and behind the bar. So you know you've got. Seems like I doubt very much whether people have got any reason to leave there other than you sort of shooing them out the door at midnight or whatever closing time is but <laughs> yeah well it was a, we didn't really know how busy it was going to be because it's in the suburbs and there was no mm-hmm. pubs really there were three pubs in the locality but um pubs you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily go into unless you know the sort of one where everybody look at you and oh, another kind of place you mean wearing yeah. <laughs> the, the, the right um sports team and stuff so yeah um so because it was a complete unknown um we didn't really know we knew there's a lot of people that were crying out for something like that yeah in, in the area um but 
uh, we've been blown away by the support so it's been it's been great but mostly because it's in the suburbs it's mainly people that are walking and i think there's been that's been one of the legacies of covid yeah and people staying local um yeah i think another difficulty is or well you know benefit for us but difficulty for the sort of city center venues is that people are you know the taxi well in northern ireland anyway we lost about 50 percent of our taxi drivers left the industry um, right? during covid wow. so and they haven't come back so the, the hmm. it's really hard to get a taxi uh, and the public yeah. transport's not great the last yeah. bus is usually about 11 o'clock right. so if people are going out into the city center they're going out earlier and then they're getting the last bus yeah and um, so it's been a benefit to us because we're open till one at the weekend. So yeah, that's, it is the case. Once people arrive, then that's them pretty much. Um, Although, so, um, so where exactly you talk about being in the suburbs, can you be specific for people that might be trying? Yeah. To so well, we're actually <laughs> with a new uh, neighbor, well, so boundary opened up um, their tap room, which is about 500 meters from where we yeah, are. That's well, what you need. Yeah. And in fact, 500 meters is about the sort of the maximum plausible, you know, other end of the crawl, if you like, isn't it? So you could do with one or two opening up between you and them, and then you'd really yeah. be safe. <laughs> No, that's well. That's what we'd love that, but um, yeah. In terms of where we are in Belfast, we're about one mile directly east from the city centre. Okay. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. So it's the main arterial road going east. Yeah. Um, there used to be loads of pubs on that road, so they're yeah. you know, back when the shipyards were. I was going to say heading out towards the docks, and, and yeah, yeah. So it's uh, not like pretty much a stone's throw from the Oval, which is Glen Torren Football Club's ground, which is uh, right. quite a famous ground for like groundhoppers. Um, okay. People from Europe are coming over to to walk, come and watch matches at, at the Oval, which is uh, like a 1950s stadium. But, oh, nice! Um, yeah, uh, yeah the, and the Titanic, obviously with the docks and, and yes. all that. So yeah, we're not far from that. And yeah, it's it's it used to be 20 plus pubs on that one mile stretch. Yeah. And there's now three. So Ooh. that's just you know the the decimation of the pub industry over the last yeah. of years. But um, now with boundary opening as well, there's two places yeah. within. Uh, yeah close walk that it's been great for you know we've seen an increasing amount of tourists coming back to belfast as well so that's great it's a yeah. good uh, sort of city break destination definitely people come for a long weekend or whatever and uh we've started to see that you know you hear some even american accents and yeah and, you know uh other accents in the tap room which is pretty cool to, well to i'd hear. expect that a place like yours you know the americans going to track you down because americans are you know they are craft beer enthusiasts aren't they for the, to a large extent and so you they will american tourists will often be the people that that find you and, and equally i would say maybe scandinavians as well so you'd expect a number a significant number of scandinavian tourists to find you as well um, yeah they're going to no, be looking for what where's the best craft beer in the city yeah, well, that's, it is good. Like that's the benefit of Google Maps and stuff these days. Yeah, you absolutely. In, you know, brewery or craft beer, and then you'll you'll get a. And Google reviews are usually fairly accurate, depending on the area, because you could be in an area where there's nothing else, and then the uh-huh. reviews are maybe inflated slightly than than what they would be in a really competitive market. But yeah, so we've been we've been uh, benefiting from that, which is great. And that's brilliant. Yeah, so we'd be we're looking for other options in terms of what we can do to try and add another site or. Or look at another, you know, offering potentially. Yes, uh, is the other thing. So, uh, but with with nothing sort of even in our heads as to what we'd like to do yet. Nothing so. you're ready to announce yet, but uh, and not even like <laughs> haven't even haven't even decided what uh, what direction to go in with that. Okay. So, yeah, but that's sort of on the cards that we're we're starting to look for other options at the minute. Sure. Um, Remember when we spoke two years ago? You explaining the the licensing situation to me in, in Belfast and the fact that it's almost impossible to get a new license. So you were looking to basically recycle an existing license from a 
premises that we yeah. wanted to relinquish it, I guess. And so is that is that still the state of play? Yeah, we wouldn't I don't think we'd be able to do that again because our cards are marked now in terms of oh. uh, <laughs> we kind of got in through the back well, not through the back door. We did everything legally, but we, we got in under the radar. Um, right. and then we we were open before people even noticed and it was because of COVID really that we, uh, we benefited okay. from the fact yeah. that all the pubs were, were closed in the vicinity. But the pro that it still took us four years to get the tap room open. And um I don't think I could put myself through another uh, no. another one of the because the, the risk involved of first of all finding a landlord that's willing to wait until you might get your license and you might not get your license. Um yep. so you know, it's very very rare to find a landlord that's willing to just sort of sit on a property or let you sit on a property. Yeah. Um, until you've confirmed that you've definitely got your license because the lack of certainty or the well the uncertainty around whether you'll get your license or not is yep. pretty off-putting um, uh, and there's a lot of risk involved so we would probably look at leasing a, an existing venue that's maybe the owner's retiring or the you know the business has failed or whatever um, right. but the issue in Northern Ireland is pubs have become really big over the years so because of the lack of new licenses, existing venues are just the only way they could expand is through getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So mm-hmm. even in small regional towns, you get these huge like 500 capacity venues, right? Which were really busy maybe back in the 80s. And, yeah. Uh, now people are you know increasingly drinking at home. Sure. Um, they're difficult because there's a big plot of real estate. Um, right. So the, the bricks and mortar has quite a big value um, because yes. of the size of the premises so the the owners generally you know those have been pubs that have been in the family for maybe 100 years so the, right it's viable to them because they're not having to pay rent or mortgage it yeah um but for somebody new coming in it's very difficult to make that viable because yeah uh, that's true. you know the rents the rent's going to be quite high and the rates are pretty high as well so yeah you know, yeah so we'll we'll see what what plays out but um yeah looking at a few a few options at the minute Okay, great. And I know the, the, the other thing that was challenging, I guess probably still is to some extent challenging, is is exporting beer from, from Northern Ireland either to the rest of the UK or to or to you know Europe and beyond. And so has that got a bit easier in, in yeah, the well, last we've, It hasn't really got easier, but uh, well, sending stuff to GB is fine. It's just okay. the, the only barrier there is uh, for a really small producer, a lot of the really, really small breweries that have just started in Northern Ireland are, you know, uh, one owner-operated businesses. Yeah, it's difficult because you have to get a you know at least a pallet to make it worth its while. Sure, and you generally have to send it to a distributor because you know it's a pub's not going to be able to take a pallet of some obscure brewery that they've never you know nah. heard of from Northern Ireland. So nah. Ebria sort of opened the market up a little bit because smaller producers could then send individual cases or kegs right. you know through the courier network, which uh, helped Good. a bit. We started working with Cave Direct probably around the last time I was talking to you. Okay. Um, yeah. In GB, so we've seen about forty percent of our volume now goes across to GB. Oh, that's nice, very good. Uh, yeah. and we actually have more permanent taps in uh, Manchester than we do in Belfast, which that's is crazy, isn't it? <laughs> which is crazy. So apart from obviously yeah. the, our own tap room in Belfast, where we have right. well, we, we usually have about twelve or thirteen of our own beers on. Yeah, I was looking um, this afternoon. Yeah, fifteen, sixteen, I think at the moment. That's fabulous. So the but apart from that, we've only got two other permanent taps that's in. Really? Belfast, oh, that's so. an absolute yeah. crime, isn't it? <laughs> Um, and that's that's how hard it is. Like that. what's going on uh, so, and that's just we're we're one of the lucky ones in that we've got i two suppose tops. you are to even have you know, two yeah you've been grateful um, you've got 
So yeah, the and we're very grateful to yeah the so the Ergel and the Morning Star, the two pubs um, nice. that that uh, stock our beer permanently, which is great. Um, but yeah, so th- that's a challenge. And then uh, sending beer into the, the Republic of Ireland again, you need a distributor because you need somebody to import the beer and pay the duty right. on. Yeah, um, and then you need to do the you know European paperwork for the movement of goods and so on, and you need to have yep. a movement guarantee. So again, for a really small brewery that's just starting out, it's quite a hurdle to face, you know, straight away. So we have started working with a, a distributor called Four Corners um, huh? in the Republic of Ireland in since April this year. So we've been pleased with how things are going. Um, it's, a, it's a competitive market because, again, like Diageo and, and Heineken down in the in the south have yeah. pretty much a stranglehold on the market. So. Similar licensing legislation, and most of the breweries there are, are pretty export focused as well. Right. Uh, so we have again, it's a, it's it's a tough market down there, but we you know we've been pleased with how we've been making a bit of progress, especially in Dublin and Cork yep. and Galway. So um, nice. I guess those are the targets for us, the the, the main uh, population centres. So um, yes. And there's t- Dublin, and well, especially Dublin, tourism-wise, d- you know, Dublin's busy all the time, all year oh, round. Oh, that's right, absolutely, yes, yeah, so all year round, tourism up the trap, isn't it? Yeah. So we do like we're jealous whenever we head down to Dublin and see all the pubs with you know mm. increasingly, you know, there are a lot more pubs with with more taps and more local taps, which is great yeah. to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same Cork's pretty touristy, but you know, quite seasonal, and Galway as well. Um, right. I guess we get jealous in Belfast that a lot of people. Especially Americans come fly into Dublin, go south, uh, go to maybe Cork, go to Kerry, yeah. uh, and then head back to Dublin, uh, or you know, never come north. Or they miss around. you out. Yeah, that's a shame, isn't it? Um, so it would be nice if we got a bit more of that tourism. But um, <laughs> yeah, the, the people that do come north, they always think it's it's like more authentic and, and yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, more of yeah. that that real uh, feel to it. So yeah, th- I guess that's where we've been been focusing, and then the other. Uh, market we've been working in is Italy. Um, okay, yeah. A distributor in Milan. So her last St. Patrick's Day, we did a tap takeover, three days of tap takeovers Fabulous. in Milan and the yeah. surrounding area. So it was pretty good fun. Um, mm. I found it bizarre that people were, people, uh, you know, knew the brands and stuff and knew the beers that we made. Yes. Uh, so there was, we were outside like a bottle shop in the center of Milan and the, we've changed our branding, you know, in the last yeah. two years. Mm-hmm. And there was a an old label of Frank the Tank on one of the lampposts outside the bottle <laughs> shop, which uh, was pretty cool to see. And it's a long way from home, yeah. Also the, you know, some of the guys were like showing me all their check-ins on Untapped from... They were like, oh, why'd you not bring, you know, whatever beer? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> for the top takeover. So that was pretty cool to see. Um, and the Italy people... is an interesting market, isn't it? They do import a lot of UK craft beer. I know I've had this conversation with a number of brewers on the podcast saying, oh, yeah, Italy's really big. And uh, I have, um, myself, I have tried to, you know, I, I'm a, you mentioned Google Maps earlier on, and I, you know, I have from time to time sort of, and I'm thinking, well, maybe a beer trip to Italy could be on the cards. You know, maybe I need to go to Rome or Milan or, or Turin or whatever. And, you know, and you start Googling, trying to find the tap rooms. And it's really hard to put it together on Google. I don't know why that is. It's, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty adept at Googling and, and plotting Google Maps and fig- figuring out an itinerary in a given city. And I've always, I end up giving up with the Italian cities. I don't know why that is. It's, it's, it's not obvious where the tap rooms are. Well, we were, um, yeah, we were kind of in, in and around Milan, so we some you know, but driving to like a small village, maybe an hour outside, um, mm. 
Milan and yeah this like amazing craft beer bar in yeah. a village of maybe 15,000 people or 20,000 people but you would need to know about it you know it's yeah. not, even from the outside it doesn't look like a normal sort of UK craft beer no. bar you know they looked like a traditional sort of pub that you wouldn't know what you're going to get yeah um but yeah, I visited, there's a brewery called Alder uh, Beer. I don't know if you've heard of them, but they were, like, the beers, yeah. the beers there were top-notch. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think the the Italian market was a lot more developed than I was expecting. And right. uh, I think it's maybe, it's, especially in the north, because of the, the sort of the close to German Germany and, and that sort of beer culture. Yeah. Even the publicans were really knowledgeable about, you know, serving. And, and it was, yeah, I was really, I thought it was, as good as the UK craft beer market in terms That's of terrific, you know, isn't it? Yeah, great. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised. A lot, a lot more advanced than uh, Northern Ireland, anyway. That's for sure. Right. Um, but yeah, there and then we've we've been exporting a little bit into the Netherlands as well. So Have you, yeah, uh, it's another really strong craft beer market. Absolutely, yeah. Well, that's one of the benefits, I guess, for us being in Northern Ireland is that we're sort of one camp in the EU and one camp in yes. The UK, so uh, yeah. we're still in the single market. Legally speaking, we're still in the single market. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's been a, a benefit to us. A lot of the breweries in GB have, have had difficulty exporting. Absolutely. Well, some of them, frankly, just given up. It's just it's too too hard, too much paperwork, too much red tape. Yeah. But I think that's also that's potentially right. flooded the UK market with a lot of a lot excess beer. You know, so the, even though the prices, in theory, should have been going up with inflation, everything right. going up and up and up. It's been hard to put in price increases because yeah, that's an interesting perspective. You could yeah. be right. Yeah, it people, people selling system. more of their output domestically, and so so it had to be really price competitive. Yeah, yeah. So that we have definitely seen that it's it's been tough out there in terms of the price increases and and you know publicans being able to absorb. Because, yes. uh, you know, from their point of view, the energy, it's everything else is affecting them as well. The, That's right. Yeah, it's uh, not just the beer, it's just one you know, one component of their overall cost model, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But that's uh, one thing that we've um, not benefited from in Northern Ireland, that England and Wales, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure about Scotland, but at the minute there's a 75% rates reduction for hospitality businesses. Yeah, does that, that doesn't apply in Northern Ireland. So the money, the money was sent over to Northern Ireland, but because we don't have a government, the civil servants have spent it on uh, other areas where because we're we're running a budget surplus at the minute or de yeah. uh, deficit, sorry. Deficit, um, yeah. So we've, we're I think there's about three hundred million overspent. So the, this extra money was sent over, but there's a, a hole that needs <laughs> plugged. So um, that's just gone into the abyss. So we haven't benefited from that, which would be. It would be nice for for our tap room anyway. You know, you you definitely see a big impact if we were. Oh, absolutely, yeah. That as well. So there has been uh, a bit of support, but you know, in terms of for the, the hospitality trade in GB, um, so I think that's sort of helped stem things because um, yeah. the pubs still seem to seem to be busy. Um, they do, yeah. It's just maybe yeah. the the types of drinks that people are drinking have changed a little bit. And as post COVID, there was definitely a big surge in Guinness sales and cocktails and stuff. I think, and then. But, uh, because people thought they couldn't replicate those things at home, and now I think that people have moved on from that again. So yes, that's been a bit of a benefit. But um, yeah. we, we actually don't serve any Guinness in, in our tap room, so we've our own uh, nitro stout that we sell. Oh, yes. um, <laughs> I think there's only two pubs, maybe three places in Belfast that don't have Guinness on. So. Um, is that a bone of contention? I mean, do people walk in and walk out again because they can't get uh, No, not, no. They don't <laughs> I think people know now that, um, yeah. you know, at the start you did get people asking. Yeah. We did actually sell sell Beamish for a while, which because we weren't doing our nitro start all the time, we wanted to have right. like, people expect one. You need an start. offering in that in that category. Um, yeah. Beamish is, is Heineken owned, but it's, um, 
yeah, it's, I guess it's seen as more alternative to yeah. You know, we don't want to sell Guinness, so um, yeah. but yeah, so that's we've we've taken that out and we're just doing our own because we we've whenever we had them both on, we realized it was just cannibalizing our own, so we might as well just just sell yeah. Our own. Um, so yeah. Well, I don't doubt for a moment that your uh, your nitro stout will be infinitely more delicious than Guinness's. Uh, it goes without saying. Yeah, there's a, there's a, <laughs> a little bit more flavor, but it's funny because you're trying to brew a nitro stout with as little flavor as possible. I suppose that's the thing, yeah, yeah because, because you're going so to a market that has an expectation that it's going to taste more or less like Guinness. You know, very bitter, but not much taste apart from that. Yeah. Yeah. So people are so used to, you know, and you know, on the island of Ireland, you've got Murphy's, you've got yep. Beamish, and you've got Guinness. Um, and they're all much of a much of a muchness and, and a bit yeah. of a pretty flavor. You know, they're not there's not much flavor to them. So no. it is actually we've toyed we're played around. We do still you know we we like having that roast flavor. We like having a depth of a bit more depth of flavor to yeah. the stout. So it's finding that balancing act because you don't want to be too different. And then people no, are, how fascinating! I, I've never even thought about that, but you, I, it, it makes perfect sense now. You wouldn't want it to be too dramatically different. Otherwise, you're defeating the object of having that that category of beer on the bar aren't you really which is uh yeah what, what a strange world we live in <laughs> yeah well, it's, it's funny we actually sell some of that in we have a permanent line in, in a bar in manchester of the nitro stout i think we have a two actually um oh. in manchester but we don't again we don't have any in in uh northern Ireland because all every pub other than three pubs has guinness so yeah you're, you're never going to sell it outside <laughs> uh, your own place so yeah so i guess you could differentiate a bit more if you wanted to because it's never going to be you know you're not you're not directly competing with those guys so no i suppose not i'll tell you what let's talk about a beer that does have plenty of flavor this is rolling papers that uh disappearing rapidly out of my glass that's for sure 5.2 percent hazy ipa tasting notes say multiple dry hop additions combined with the fruity esters of our house blend to give you something hazy and immensely crushable uh absolutely delicious this is a gorgeous sort of a bit of pineapple going on, a bit of citrus, lovely colour to it. Just, I can imagine that you know a few pints of this are not going to hang around. Um, I'm sure this flies off the bar. Uh, yeah, uh, this is our best seller to be fair in, no, in the tap room. So, yeah. um, it's a brilliant beer. It's, it's kind of been our flagship beer over the last. Uh, I think we only introduced it about two years ago, and it quickly yeah. sort of took off. And we last year, uh, I think we've done 25 percent of our volume. As Have you? Nice. So, yeah. Um, we could do more is, is the other thing, but you know we're limited in capacity. Yeah. Um, and because we kind of try to keep uh, variety on in the tap room, mm-hmm. you know, if we just brew, if say we brew fifty percent of our production as rolling papers, then we're going to be limited. In terms You'd have of, to have three you know, three up your twenty taps would be rolling papers, wouldn't they? Because you're not going to have the, <laughs> the range otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the difficulty, and we could you know and, and limiting what we it's sort of that balancing act. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it's it's sort of taken off, and yeah, I think it's been you know people like the well, obviously the flavor we've got it's a citrus stratus, uh, a strata and talus yeah. dry hop, um, as well, yeah. mm-hmm. so it's it's kind of three pretty heavy hitters that you know you're yeah. gonna get like you should get a pretty good beer if if you have those <laughs> uh, um, three in so. Uh, yeah, and then people even the likes of, you know because I guess we're seen as a bit of a. Uh, upstart underdog sort of story. So, and the rolling papers, the spliff on the front of the can, people yeah. <laughs> uh, resonate with that. So, it doesn't always, suit, doesn't yeah. appeal to everybody, but um, yeah. So, it, I guess some bars like the the iconography and the, oh, the, yeah, idea, so, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. idea behind it. So, um, yeah, no, it's been we've been really pleased with it, and we 
we uh, are going to do, I think, on uh, 420 this year is going to become Rolling Papers Day. So we're going to do some events around uh, Rolling Papers. So, um, yeah. And it's it, like the other benefit is that it's always sort of going to sell in independent venues because, you know, big multinationals and, and stuff aren't going to touch it because of the yeah. negative connotations. So, yeah, that's that's another benefit, I guess, for independent stockists. That it's not going to go anywhere else. So, no. Um, trying to plan because it's our flagship brand now and, and uh, sort of what we put most of our energy into yeah it's, it's, it makes sense to do a, a, a sort of do some events around it and Absolutely. Um, do a little yeah. tour or something good excuse to get out of the brewery as well and, yeah uh, out and about. so would you would, would you brew a bigger version of this as well would you guys you know would, would you guys yeah potentially for i think it's yeah. nice to do variations so well that's you know, the thing if you're gonna if you're gonna make a day of it i think you probably perhaps need a couple of different editions of it don't you to, to sort of round out the offering yeah, and that has been a, but just sort of having a flagship brand. And, um, you know, we had other beers in the past, like Small Axe and, and mm. uh, other beers that we've maybe been at 20% of sales at, at certain stages. Um, but this is definitely taken off more. Yeah. Um, and I think the there's pros and cons to that in terms of, you know, the, the business as a whole. Um, mm-hmm. so, but we're we're pleased with how it's gone. And, uh, we're yeah. Pleased you know how it's, how well it's being received and um, so yeah it seems to be uh not it doesn't stick around too long so that's you know you're that, that can that you're drinking is probably only packaged in the last week or two because pretty right. much yeah. it's it's brewed and it's packaged and it's out the door as soon as as soon as we right. package it so which is great for us because we don't have a huge amount of storage space right um, so we well we, we moved into that unit in september 2020 and it uh, had moved from a 500 square foot tiny tiny yeah. shed to six thousand square foot uh, warehouse and thought, how are we going to, how are we ever going to fill this uh, place? <laughs> and now uh, we've just, yeah, it's like where are we going to fit this stuff? You know, in terms of, so we can't sit on beer for too long. Um, so you're pretty much maxed out your your six thousand square foot unit now in terms. Yeah, of Yeah, so. the issue we have, I think, is the ceiling height. Is you know we're yeah. not we only have it's about four point seven meters is as tall as we can go. So right. um, it's it's. Uh, so even in terms of like pallet racking and stuff for um you know even storing cans and boxes and yeah stuff, really go two layers high so it's it's um yeah where it's that is the difficulty is that, you know the, right. the actual square footage is fine in terms of floor space it's just the the ceiling height is and we never yeah. really talk about that whenever because you're going from brewing like a, a 10 heck batch and uh, we're yeah. now our kit we, well we've got a 30 heck brew house we only do 20 generally because our fes are only 25 ish so right we're, yeah um, so but yeah it's just now you know for the likes of rolling papers we could do double batches so we, if we had six thousand liter fermenters we could fill them uh, and i would you know it would sell them you know it'd be fine so it's just we can't fit them in now is the, is the nah. yeah i guess we'll have to work out what we're going to do um <laughs> that, because we're, we're kind of in this unit till 2026 so we've got a break clause then so but that's might, not forever, is it? That's you know, it could, could be worse, couldn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it could, it could. But we probably will need. We might need to add a bit more sort of uh, brew floor space in and, and put some more drainage in and stuff in the meantime. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's we're looking at yeah keg washers and stuff at the minute because right, uh, uh, we, our keg are you know pre- we're predominant predominantly selling into kegs or or yeah. packaging into kegs. Um, yeah. About seventy five percent of our volumes in uh, draft at the minute. So, right. Mm-hmm. Um, but we spend a lot on on getting clean kegs here. So, um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's. But we don't have anywhere to put it at the minute. So that's no. 
another issue. So that's these headaches that you run into all the time. <laughs> uh, so we'll get that. Well, yeah, it seems like it's never ending in terms, you know, there's always something, some sort of issue uh, or the, some sort of conundrum that you have to solve at some stage. But, but you're committed to continuing to grow, are you? That's that's the, you know, the, the yeah, I think the, the not just for growth sake uh, and not, I think we'll probably put a limit on it at some stage um, yep. because it, well, it'd be nice in the future to have like a, you know, a production brewery that also has an on-site tap room, yes, like coffee shop or visitor center type idea, yeah. and maybe some pizza or something as well. So you know, mm-hmm. we could open uh, more often. So I think that would be the ultimate goal. But then maybe at that stage, just sort of park it and and just get to a certain size and just say, right, that's it. And then um, yeah. So, but the, you do benefit from economies of scale from a commercial point of view. You know, you, yeah. you need to get to a certain size. Um, and but we've seen, you know, it, it gets scarier once you get to, you know, no, uh, absolutely. We're only, yeah, we're only small. You know, we're we're only two and a half thousand hectoliters this year, and there's you know, um, but once you get to say. 10,000 hectoliters, there's a lot of, that's a lot of beer to shift. And if you, yeah, it is. You know, yeah. if, there's, if there's some, say you lose a distributor or hmm. uh, something happens that, you know, that's when it becomes a lot riskier. So, um, yeah, true. You know, and then, you know, as you start to accumulate significant numbers of staff, then there's all of the responsibility that, you know, that hanging over you as well, isn't there? It's, a, yeah, it's yeah, there's people's somewhere. livelihoods, are, are, you know, if, if they're dependent on, on the success of your business and how well you're running it, then that's a, another yeah. dimension of stress. But yeah, that's uh, it's yeah, all the fun and games of, of uh, <laughs> running the brewery. But um, we've been like we've uh, sort of our energy costs were through the roof um, for a while, and we kind of had, had to absorb that and just take the hit on on energy costs. Um, oh. It was up to like seven grand a month at some at one stage, and we're now for comparison, we're now down at about two thousand a month. So oh, wow. um, you know yeah. that, that even that. Uh, you know, you're having to sell so much more beer every month yeah. just to, to cover that. So, you know, we've, we've hopefully we'll touch with there's there's um you know things are starting to even out a little tiny bit yeah. in energy prices anyway. So, nice. um, okay. yeah. we're um on the other side of that all being well. Those are all the um the fun and games. <laughs> it's interesting because I you know naturally make the assumption whenever you're talking to somebody about a business, you assume that the goal is growth. You know, and that that just seems like the the natural way of things. But literally, the last two guests I've had on this podcast have both said, "No, we're actually happy with where we are." Um, two very different businesses. So, so two weeks ago, I had Baron Brewing, which is a literally a one man band uh, brewing unbelievable beers. Yeah. Uh, Jack Baron, the absolute genius brewer. And then uh, last week, I had Pressure Drop, um, who actually published today, uh, recorded last week, and you know they in a very different size and and sort of. Uh, know business you know in terms of how well known they are and how long they've been going but they also are completely happy with their current size and production output and both businesses said to me in slightly different ways our goal for the future is trying to figure out how to sell the beer that we're making more profitably Mm -hmm. we don't make any more beer but we do think we can squeeze some more profit out of it by i guess mainly by selling more direct and you know and Telling yeah. the, the middlemen out of the process, um, you know, with, with with all due respect to the importance of those middlemen, of course. Um, but they're, you know, that they, both those businesses were saying, no, you know, we're making exactly the right amount of beer, and we think, you know, we're happy with with, with where we're at with that, um, which is an, yeah. you know, an unusual perspective, really. But I think it's the growing pains that you get with growth is the the infrastructure challenges. Yep. 
you know, where you're, for example, whenever we put our new brew house in last year, we sort of hadn't anticipated they were going to need a whole new gas main into the premises. So um, the infrastructure work cost pretty much as much as the as the brewery house did. Although we got the brewery house second hand uh, from a brewery over in England. So, um, but yeah, it cost as much to to install it as it did to buy it. Um, and then the challenges of you know installing new chiller system and chilling pipe work and all that stuff and every time you make changes you know there's a fair bit of cost involved and yeah. involved in terms of you know back scratching or head scratching think, in terms, you yeah. know, how are we going to do this and where are we going to fit this and um <laughs> yeah the, uh, you know are we going to have to shut down production while this goes in or you know yeah. all those challenges that um if you're happy with well if you've invested i think the the you know we've sort of been bootstrapped a lot of the way and I've added things piecemeal and it's sort of Frankenstein and we've added bits and bits and bits. <laughs> I think and most that, breweries are like that, to be honest with you, aren't they? <laughs> so that becomes more challenging because then you've got, you know, bits working on, on different, you know, legacy systems or whatever and, yeah. and like different, uh, you know, bits of pipe work added in at different times. If you knew from the start, right, we're going to be able to, we can get the money, you know, from the bank or whoever yeah. and we can sell the X amount of beer. We've got the customers for them. Um, and you knew, you know, you could build a kit, you know, custom built to those specifications. And then your only challenge was, you know, how do we make this more efficient or how do we make yes. this more profitable? And that's a different challenge and, and mm. a, maybe a slightly easier challenge. So that's, yeah, that is a dream scenario, I guess, in that, um, you know, you can look at ways you could maybe increase batch yield and stuff. So, you know, yep. uh, just trying to be more efficient and, and more, even from a, environmental point of view you know new hop products and stuff that you can maybe yeah. get the same flavor profile you know with using you know you're losing less beer um through reducing your dry hop but using say you know like a spectrum or something like that yeah I'm absolutely um, yeah, i appreciate how and, it be, yeah so those those i think and those innovations that are coming is is mm. um, and then maybe you know looking at the co2 recovery systems and you know yeah. we can save money on co2 or we can install a nitrogen generator or you know yeah. those challenges are then uh, uh, you know it's an e- it's a nicer challenge to have than yes where we're going to put this or whatever that uh, <laughs> um, or we need extra capacity to make to become profitable and that sort of uh, thing. So yeah, that is a dream scenario. I think the the ultimate you know dream scenario I think is I think I've said to you before is just having a a, a brew pub sort of system where you can just brew everything, sell everything on site. Um, yes, we were chatting, we were doing a, or doing a, a beer, tiny beer festival up in Donegal, right. And, we chatting to a guy who runs Crew Brewing in Limerick in yeah. Ireland, and mm-hmm. he's a tiny three hundred liter system brew right. pub system. And yeah, he was wanting to start a separate production brewery. And pretty much all the brewers at the festival were like, "What? You're crazy!" Like, you, yeah, you've you got, got the perfect situation. You're, right. <laughs> you're selling everything on site. There's no, yeah. you know, you're uh, getting the full whack. You're uh, marginalized, and, and yeah, you, right. you're selling everything. You're getting a constant feedback from consumers about that's what they right. like, yeah. what they don't like. Yeah. So that seems like the dream. But he, it's I guess it's the grass is always greener. Uh, of course it is, yeah. Um, but you know, yeah. with the success of um, of Bullhouse East, now you've got you know you're much closer to that goal of of you know selling most of your beer through through your own retail. So that's brilliant. Yeah, well, that's and we get about thirty five percent goes through uh, the east, so thirty five percent of our volume, which is you know uh, we never thought it would be anything like that. Um, no. So, 
even up, you know, from a cash flow perspective, it's it's been night and day. And you see the, the difference, I think, between uh, like a, a pub or a bar business and a brewery. Um, you just it's like night and day then in terms of you can do the side by side comparison of there's obviously extra challenges that come with running the bar and the hours and, and all the rest. But oh, yeah, absolutely, um, yeah. yeah. The you know, there's two big processes in the brewery that aren't involved in the bar, and that's the manufacturing side, which has a huge amount of headaches, uh, yep. and then the sales and distribution and export. You know, right. So you've no manufacturing and you've got no real, you know, sales other than you know a bit of marketing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's and and then you get the cash flow benefits, the margin benefits. It's like a completely different business. I think you you realize the power of the direct to consumer sales. Oh yes, uh, you know, and and, and uh, that's I guess why we keep campaigning or keep um trying to say uh, or change the thing uh, the legislation in Northern Ireland to allow other breweries to avail of that opportunity as yes. well. Um, so that's you know that's the ultimate goal is we'd like to sort of disrupt things in Northern Ireland and, and uh, you know allow other breweries but also other small independent venues to open up. Definitely. Um, so that's the I guess our our greater goal than just running the brewery is to try <laughs> try and uh, have some sort of uh, positive change uh, on nice. the landscape here. So that's uh, a long probably a long term challenge that might be more difficult than <laughs> might beat us in the long run. <laughs> We'll try our best. My, uh, my, my current challenge is I've finished my rolling papers, so I think we should take a short break, Will, so I'm going to get another beer out of the fridge. Sounds good. Beer Passport 2024 is a pocket-sized guide to 70 brewery tap rooms across London, allowing you to explore the city's thriving craft beer scene, discover exciting new breweries, and drink delicious beer. It includes some of London's biggest and best breweries and offers over £350 worth of savings. So put Beer Passport right at the top of your Christmas list. Head to beerpassport.co.uk to grab yours and use the code THISWEEK20 for 20% off before Christmas. I'm back with Will from Bullhouse for the second half of the show. Will, at this stage every week, I like to have a bit of fun and put the guest on the spot and ask them perhaps the only tricky question I'm going to ask you all evening, and that is, what do you wish you'd done differently at Bullhouse? Is there anything looking back with the glorious benefit of hindsight and you would say, oh, no, if we'd have only done this instead of that, things would have turned out for the better? Well, I don't want to do like a cop-out answer, but <laughs> I think in hindsight, because you're... You know, we and we probably would have done. I probably would have done everything nearly differently. Um, <laughs> but the other side of that coin is you learn a lot through making mistakes. Um, you yeah, that's very um, true. You learn. You know, you. I guess we wouldn't be where we were today without doing those mistakes. Uh, so, no. um, as in, I think whenever you start a brewery, not coming from a production brewing background. Right. Um, you know, because I was like a home brewer turned pro and uh you know, a lot of brewers are. And I think Absolutely. you need that yeah. You need that naivety. Um yeah. to have the balls to go for it in the first place. Um sure. because if you if you were production if you came from a production brewing background, yeah, you'd probably want to you know, you wouldn't bootstrap things. So you wouldn't start with a shoestring budget, and no. uh, but then you'd never start is the other thing. Uh, so yeah. you'd never you'd never be able to start because you know you need in order to get a loan from the bank, you need uh, especially being based here in, in Northern Ireland with no local market. 
it's you know you wouldn't be able to do it right. um like the bank will just laugh at it. we you know even trying to get money from the bank at the start you just couldn't it just no. wasn't even a viable option right. um, so i guess the the benefit i had i grew up on a farm and had like a 500 square foot shed that i was able to and and keep working yeah um, and you know do the brewery on the side um uh, you know while i was working full-time yeah for 18 months before deciding to go full-time um so yeah i guess that was a good testing ground for you know testing recipe you know saying what, what you know yeah. just testing everything i guess um and yeah then living on uh bread and, and rice for <laughs> uh <laughs> two or three years after that yeah, uh, but yeah, not everybody's in that position that is able, you know, is able to do that, and and right. with families and stuff, it's harder, harder of to course, yeah. uh, do that. So, yeah, I guess, and specifically, one thing I, I don't think there's any one specific thing that I would have done differently, and that uh, it is sort of you know, you just you you live in and um, you know, I guess, yeah, we probably would have got a, a premises with a higher ceiling in house. Yes. Is yeah. that, is uh, one the obvious one because um, yeah you, you again that's probably a you walk into a building coming from a five hundred square foot shed and it seems massive yeah and it, yeah it looks huge and then uh, in you know two or three years down the line then you're like where are we going to fit this stuff so mm-hmm. um, yeah but in terms of I think you know learning and and um, sort of making mistakes as you go is a, a good good place to be you know, coming from because. You know, you, you you learn an awful lot, and um, you know then, like we've learned from even from buying secondhand equipment and stuff that some things you can buy secondhand, but some things you shouldn't buy secondhand. And I guess that's that's just what you learn from, and having the peace of mind of a warranty and a service contract and, yeah. and all that stuff is is well worth it in the long run. Whenever yeah. you <laughs> um, like, so you know, pieces of kit that that can be, you know, we, even our canning machine. Um, you know, we we managed to get a loan during COVID. Right. Yep. A small canning machine. Yeah. A labeler um as well. But then um yeah, we like we've we've now got a microcan CL5 and yep. um like labeler and in-feed and outfeed table and stuff. And the difference in that is just has been night and day. But we, okay. we, were, yeah. we were never in a position where we were gonna be able to get that, you know, until we had the volume. So it's always a catch twenty two of yeah. Um, if you could start with all the bells and whistles, of course you would. Of course uh, you would, yeah. But, but very, very few people have the have the luxury yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but fair I guess... enough. I think it doesn't it doesn't do to to sort of live with regret either, does it? You know, if you if you're always looking back, saying, "Oh no, if we had only done this or that," no, so you just got to, as you say, learn from your mistakes and get better over time. And as long as you're striving to get better, that's I think that's a key attribute for for breweries. And I think most of the most of the best ones have that almost as their their reason for existence is just making sure the next beer is better than the previous one. And if you've got that as a goal, then. Uh, well, I think, yeah, in terms of like beer quality and stuff, that's something we've always put a focus on is, is making sure that I'm not releasing bad beer and, and you know, yeah. um, I'm taking the hit on, on that. But um, when you've got, especially cold side, when you've got good equipment, um, yeah. that you, you know, it's costs a lot of money, but, and when you've got, um, Especially now we've got like DO meter and, and CO two meter and stuff, and we can yeah. measure everything. You know, you can you can test everything, you can measure everything, and and the more info, the more data you have, the easier it is to you know make informed decisions. Sure or a good outcome, yeah, yeah. So, but that's just something that you you know it's when you're when when you don't have the cash, you can't 
you know, you can't have that equipment. So, um, indeed, <laughs> yeah. But as you know, the, the brewery wouldn't have happened if if we hadn't gone through the hardships of of uh, not having that equipment. Um, no. So it's uh, yeah. I guess you just you would just never start as the other you know as the no. other way. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think it's a a, a blessing and a curse um, <laughs> to, to bootstrap your way through things. Yeah. But it's what most people it's the path that most people take. Um, so I think yeah. it's, it's well understood. Yeah, yeah. Um El Capitan is the beer that we've moved on to, 7.5% export stout. Uh tasting notes say an old bullhouse classic from the early days of brewing in the Bull's house. This was our first big stout and a fan favorite, rich and Moorish to get you through the cold, damp, and dark months. Uh, it's funny because we were, you know, we spent a bit of time in the first half of the show talking about stouts with no flavour. Um, you know, and this is the exact opposite of that, isn't it? This this is really gorgeous and rich, but still clean. I think that's the uh, that's what I'm appreciating about it. You know, it's it, it's still a you know it's a lovely dark mean oh, seven point seven point five percent. So it's you know it, it's not not overwhelming strength by by big stout standards, but it's got plenty of uh, plenty of backbone to it. But it's it's not um, not tricked up in any way. It's, you know, it, it's adjunct free, and and I think um, is all the better for that. To be honest with you, I think it's nice to drink a nice to drink a you know a big bodied stout that that is is not uh, trying to be uh, you know a, a, some crazy chocolate bar or a, or a silly dessert with cream on the top or you know whatever most <laughs> it seems like most of the stouts you drink these days are. Uh, well, that's something we've learned, I guess, is a lot of those stouts use you know the flavoring and flavor compounds and stuff, and we you know try not to use or we we shy away from using those because you get that artificial you know. Uh, the the issue I think is that a lot of consumers, whenever you say it's going to be a I know coconut stout with because we've actually just brewed a coconut stout we're just okay. releasing today so whenever you say um, we're making a coconut stout or whatever people want that that flash of like you know as soon as it says it on the can they want to you know taste it in the product and smell yeah. it um, and we used desiccated coconut. Uh, just in the F, you know, just dumped in the FE um, and conditioned on the coconut. And, you know, without using those flavorings, it, it takes a lot longer to get that flavor in. Oh, I bet it does, yeah. Absorbed yeah. into the beer. And we had to end up, Mark, our head brewer, had to transfer the beer from tank to tank to try and get more of that flavor into the, you know, to absorb sort of into the right. beer. So there's a lot more work involved in doing it the hard way. Um, yeah. But then the results are a lot, you know, well, uh from a consumer point of view it's hard to know but from our point of view it's 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 you know reward for the hard work of getting the actual flavor in the in the finished product um yeah and yeah the i guess we've done other uh more gimmicky things in the past and we, we tend not to do those and try try to stay away from doing those and we've cons- consolidated our, our range quite a lot um right. as well so el capitan was actually the second beer I think it was the first beer I ever brewed back whenever we first launched the brewery back in 2016. Oh. Um, and the reason it was 7.5% was because that was the old duty threshold was 7.5%. Yeah. Changed the, the rates last year. So that that we were, you know, we brewed it. It used to be a, a sort of semi-regular beer and then it disappeared for a while. And then it's now come back as a um, a fairly stable you know, we brew it, and if it, once it runs out of stock, we'll brew it again. Um, right. That type of beer, where or, you know, um, try and keep it in rotation as as much as we can. This would be uh, more or less permanently on in the tap room, would it? 
Yeah, it's, it's pretty much yeah. permanently on, um, yeah. along with our big fishes or other nitro stouts. So, yeah, it's just a straight up no gimmicks and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, nice good body to it. And, and yeah, nothing artificial about it. Or... Well, I enjoy drinking, you know, having, you know, just bad mouth to all these, you know, sort of adjuncted stouts. I'll always buy them and always, always in a tap room. You know, I, would, I very rarely buy a can of a beer like that. But, I, you know, if, it, if I'm in a tap room, I'm going to have a third. You know, if there's a big interest in stout on, I'm going to have, got to taste it. And I'm going to enjoy tasting it and, you know, and sort of admire the, the brewing skill and getting those flavours into the beer or what have you. But you don't want to drink, you certainly wouldn't want to drink, you know, half a pint of it. And certainly, you know, God forbid, you wouldn't want to drink 440 mils of it. So it's kind of diminishing returns, isn't it, from a brewer's perspective? Well, you know, do you really want to brew a beer that people want to drink just one mouthful of and then they're done? You know? <laughs> well, so I think they're they're good for festivals and, and yeah, as you say, tap rooms. And, and, mm. uh, but on the bar, you know, if you were just selling it in a normal bar, it's not going to shift and no you know the price the price as well because the, the, well, strength. That's the other thing as well yeah if, um, you know if it's, if it's five six pounds for a third it's uh, it's, it's gonna hang around yeah, for so, um uh, then you need to cast your net pretty wide to be able you yeah know, and you need to have a pretty good distribution network you know across europe really to, to be able to sell those beers in any volume so that's you know you you quickly i guess you, you know we still like brewing the beers and um, some beers do you know, take longer. Like rolling papers, for example, as I said, we could yeah. brew as much, you know, as, as soon as it's packaged, it's out the door and, and there's a customer for it. But, you know, El Capitan might, you know, might not sell as quickly, but it's still worthwhile brewing those beers to, you know, for us to to enjoy brewing the beers and also to have them and the variety and, and for our customers to be able to enjoy them. Absolutely. But yeah, that's, that's I guess, part of the, it's the balance between creativity and like the commercial aspects. of, of Yeah. You know, the, the cliche drinkability is, is obviously a factor, isn't it? You want to be able to. So that's, yeah, we, I guess we've tried to focus, you know, increasingly focus on drinkability and um, yeah, the consolidating the range slightly as well. Like I think 2020, 2021, I think we brewed maybe 40 or 50 different beers over the year. Yeah. 2022, I think it was 46 beers this year we were like right we're going to try and consolidate and, and brew it <laughs> less uh i think we've done 36 maybe so okay. we have yeah. you know, we've come down a, a good bit next year we're planning to brew under 30 uh, oh, wow. okay. so, yeah. um, and kind of sort of uh, repeat batches of so unless we're doing a collaboration i think we'll we'll just try and uh stick to doing beers that we've done before yeah you get um, more confident about what you know what you what you're drinking public wants and what they're what they're going to get excited about seeing come back and that, you know that's a and much as i love to drink new beers i also love to see a beer come back that i really like the last time so it's a you know i, I can appreciate both sides of that really. so i think yeah in yeah. terms of specials the collaborations still give you that outlet in terms of the creative yeah. outlet to be able to Absolutely. do you know something completely unique or one-off but then having a you know with, with some beers like Brick is a double IPA, which we released again last week. Um, yeah. Having those beers that maybe make a return every three months or every four months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, you get a bit of, you know, people are, oh, yeah, Brick's back in stock. Or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it is, you know, we we have seen that. And the the benefit to us, I guess, is there's a lot less work involved. Um, yeah. You know, we're not having to come up with a new name, new names, and, and, and labels, you know. and yeah, everything and else. Tasty notes, <laughs> and and to brew something that you know, it's a, a shot in the dark, nearly yeah. you know, because you're brewing something for the first time. It, it might well, be for... a pop combination or whatever that you haven't yeah. used before, and those can all you know, you never know how it's going to turn out until. So at least if you brewed brewed it, and you can refine it and 
uh, people think consumers are still interested in, you know, we could say, oh, this, for example, with Brick, this, our double IPA, we, we uh, you know, used a new hop, hop uh, combination in our most recent batch. So then people mm-hmm. are, People are engaged and, and wanting to know how does this taste compared to the previous. Sure. You know, I remember it, and yeah, mm-hmm. so I think that's a nice way of keep, you know keeping people engaged, keeping it fresh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That leads us nice into saying, what have you got coming up, uh, beer release wise? Then, what have you got in tank that you're excited about? Uh, so we just released today, and um, coconut stout, which I was talking about. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. called desiccated diver. Um, so a bit of a play on designated driver. What's the uh, ABV? It's not. A, it's not a non-alcoholic. <laughs> it's no, a, it's only. I think it's five point. There's five percent. Five percent. And okay. uh, we have a night brew version, which we're only serving at the tap room. I think we, nice. there might be a few kegs released into the wild because we have the, yeah. the the way nitrogenation works. You have to nitro the whole batch. And then keg it, but we have it in a small a 10 heck tank, so we'll, we'll okay. maybe, uh, yeah, 25, 30 kegs out of it. So most of them will go through the tap room. Um, yeah. And other than that, yeah, we, we've had quite a few new releases uh, over the last, like we've got a, the return of Dry Hopped Singles Club, which is our uh, single Dry Hop series. Nice. Um, yeah. Which, We've got uh, the return of Citra. Uh, okay. Can't go wrong. Uh, we've done a mosaic version, and we've done a Citra version. I think that's all the versions we've done so far. So, right. yeah, well, uh, like, playing it pretty safe there. Then the Citra <laughs> version is coming back. Um, it's it's uh, in tank at the minute. It'll probably be packaged this week. Um, Lovely. And let's see what, what else we have. Well, so um, I guess. Merck Brew um, is one of our, it's a six, six and a half percent New England. Um, so slightly s- sort of at the, the stronger end of our hazy IPA range. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's, I guess we've seen a return of those beers that we've, we've sort of become known for. We've started trying to brew them more regularly. Right. Uh, keep them and trying to sort of increase. So we had a, a core range this year of pretty much just two beers, Rolling okay. Papers and Road Tripping, which is our yeah. 4% extra pill. Um, yeah. So we're sort of increasing that to seven or eight beers that okay. we'll pretty much try and keep permanently in stock. And I think that's yeah. the way the market's going. Um, yeah. Is that the sort of the return of the core range after, you know, some breweries not having a core range. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it is. Everything goes around and comes around. Doesn't it? <laughs> and then we, we have a few, like we're bringing some of our West Coast stuff back as well. So we have a yeah. lower strength, 3.8% West Coast pale called mm-hmm. Pie Face. Right. And then we have a stronger six and a half percent called Frank the Dank, which is yeah. mm-hmm. a slightly stronger version. But yeah, so those those are making a comeback as well. So yeah, we were a bit short on rolling papers actually this month. So we've, we've uh, four new beers, which we are four sort of returning beers that we brewed this month that um, put our rolling papers stock out of sync. So uh, yeah, <laughs> we're having to replenish stock again because it's actually it's funny for us is that you know brewery from uh, the island of Ireland um, where St Patrick's Day is a big big day for us. So uh, that again. <laughs> uh, February is actually our busiest month. Or in twenty twenty three, February's been our busiest month um, until well November was just just under what we did in February. So wow. February's, uh, so, so February's brewing, getting ready for some pa- for the St Patrick's Day. Yeah, so all all the beer goes yeah. out in February for yeah. So, so it's actually it's that's the good thing about being an Irish brewery is that uh, you know most breweries in January and you know January is a slow month so yeah 
Once well, Jan, yeah, January's pretty much a write-off, but it's nice that you've got that St. Patrick's Day sort of ramp up in February to kick the year yes. off. And then hopefully, you know, obviously the summer season presumably is decent for you as well and the Christmas season. So you've got, you know, you've maybe got that extra extra spike of, of seasonality compared to, to the rest of the UK, which is good. Not not to say that St. Patrick's Day isn't big over here, of course it is, but nothing. Yeah, well, that's most of the beer most good, of the beer yeah. ends up in GB. That's you know, Does it? <laughs> yeah, so um but it's uh, I guess it's it's pushed um because um, But people want to stock a bullhouse beer that, that weekend because it's St. Patrick's Day, yeah. So exactly, it, has, yeah. it has the Irish uh, cachet, yeah, nice. <laughs> and that's the benefit of being in Northern Ireland. Um you know in that we you know, we're still part of. You know, we can still send our stuff to GB, no issues. It's been yeah. it's been a difficulty for Irish, you know, Southern Irish breweries. After yeah, Brexit has been Sadly, yeah. getting beer into into the into uh, the UK market, which mm-hmm. um, you know, again, we're sort of well positioned in having a foot in both camps that we can Good. we can operate. Um, well, anywhere. I'm glad there's, there are some advantages for you, Will, because there's certainly some challenges as well. At least there has <laughs> been, haven't there? So, <laughs> uh, no, the challenges are still still there. Where's the best place for people to get their hands on some Bullhouse cans then? Uh, well, I'll plug our online shop because we've just <laughs> had a big uh, surge in sales in October or November, sorry. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we've, November is our best month we've ever done. In, in There's a good range shop, of beers so. listed on there. I was looking this afternoon. Yeah. And then uh, Bruiser, I guess we've been selling on Bruiser. Oh. Um, so, for nice. you know, direct to consumer stuff, um, it's you know either the online shop or Bruiser. Nice. Uh, and then locally, we've got pretty good coverage across all of GB from Scotland down to Bristol, uh, yeah. across to Kent. Yeah, we, like that's, I guess, so we distribute through Cave Direct. So anywhere right. um, that the Cave Direct sell into, uh, there's depots in Manchester, Newcastle, uh, Bristol, and, and Kent. So that's nice. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's pretty good. So we can you can buy off the beer merchants uh, website for direct to consumer stuff. But yeah, for yeah. the trade, probably re- more rare to see our cans in the wild than it is the kegs. Um, yes, and the draft stuff is yeah predominantly Manchester and London. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. so. can you mention some places that you know that like to have it? Uh, yeah, Manchester so for London, uh, a couple of taps in Tariff and Dale in Manchester. Um, yeah. Which has been a big supporter of us. Uh, they've just put our night roast out in. Uh, they've nice. had. They were the first pub, probably in the world. <laughs> well, definitely in the, in uh, GB, but I think probably in in the UK and Ireland to have a permanent line of rolling papers. Uh, Cask in Manchester has a couple of permanent lines as well. Nice, yeah, um, good bar. Uh, uh, all of the cask is the Ancoats Ancoats version or okay yeah the fierce bar in Manchester actually uh, Danny and the lads in, in uh, the fierce bar always have a good stock in the fridges so nice yeah, yeah very Manchester centre because I've just been to Manchester and um, yep. well, I'm heading to London here on, on Wednesday so if you ask okay. me next, next week I'll probably have a few <laughs> more <laughs> nice um, but yeah, so that's that's I guess our big focus in the next year is to especially the permanent lines. They're yeah. you know, the more sort of concrete volume that we can we know we're gonna need X amount of this beer by yeah, this. So you can plan around it, can't you? Which is nice. Um, yeah. Which uh, it's definitely a big help from a business point of view. All right then, let's get into the uh, into the home straight. And um you have sort of touched on this already, but here um I always start with what I call a shout out to a little guy and ask you to mention one or more local to you beer businesses you think are doing a great job promoting independent craft beer. Um, so that can be another brewery, a pub, a tap room, a bottle shop, restaurant or cafe, but somebody you think is doing a great job promoting not just Ballhouse, but independent craft beer. 
Well, in terms of breweries, I would say uh, Chris Morris, Modest uh, Beer in Candlestown yeah. mm-hmm. is doing a great job brewing great beer, plugging away uh, in a tough industry. Uh, yeah. And um, in terms of people who are sort of standing up for the industry and promoting craft beer in general, uh, I'd say Johnny and the guys at Getter Brewed, who are an ingredient supply, you know, distributor, um, yep. based in Northern Ireland, who work with quite a few breweries across the UK. Um, Johnny does a lot of work in in terms of promoting the industry and um, a lot spends a lot of energy and time on um, videos and content creation in terms of promoting other local breweries um, oh, on on YouTube. Um, yeah, actually got a lots of brewery tours. Um, uh, yep. behind the scenes sort of footage from uh, suppliers and across the industry but also yeah. specifically promoting the, the northern irish industry and they've you know commissioned matthew curtis who, who writes oh yeah uh, matthew articles curtis, yeah yeah, yeah. Cool. stuff as well so yeah yeah no they really plug the industry as, and, yeah. and have a real northern irish focus which is great oh that's great yeah brilliant excellent all right then so we are at the wrap-up question and as a repeat guest you get to answer the alternate wrap-up question but the question is what beer or beer style that is no longer available would you like to resurrect so that you can either taste it again or taste it for the first time? Um, well, that's, I guess, where I grew up. Um, there is a large, or there used to be a large brewery at the end of the 18th century. Um, mm-hmm. So the school I went to, the uh, building it originally founded in, or you know started in, the building itself used to be the house of the owner of the brewery in the local oh, town that nice. I live in, yeah. uh, or have grown up in. Um, nice. And that brewery is, has long gone, you know, probably yeah. for years. Um, but it was around in the, you know, the, in the late 1700s, it was built. Yeah. Um, and they were producing, you know, something like some astronomical amount of beer, like <laughs> 80,000 litres a week or something, which I guess it'd be lovely. It'd be, you know, be interesting to try those beers and see it would yeah i'm assuming they would have been served in wooden vessels on the bar oh, definitely they'd have to be there. Wouldn't they? yeah yeah and um just uh even you know to be able to taste something served out of a, a wooden vessel um mm-hmm. you know out of the wood well you have we've we've actually brewed beer in the wood before but um nice. you know nothing or served beer out of wood but yeah it'd be interesting to try something like that i guess that uh um there were a lot of breweries and i guess across the whole island of ireland and across the yeah. uk there were a lot of breweries that aren't here anymore so um yeah to just having a time machine and going back and trying one of those old beers from the late yeah especially as you say with that connection of you do, do you remember the name of the brewery uh i don't actually know the uh, the, the guy that ran the brewery was called peter johnson that's all i know and the, okay the, mm-hmm. the, the building that it's actually beside the bus station in in uh the town's called newton ours and the right bus, yeah our station is pretty much built in the old brewery uh, building, like the footprint of where the brewery um, was. Yeah. So yeah, it'd be it, yeah, it'd be interesting to try something like that. Um, but Ooh. yeah, there's it, like, even the distilling stuff, like where our where our where Bullhouse East is, there were two huge distilleries um, uh-huh. within walking distance, so within probably a five minute walk, um, right. the, in either direction, um, both exporting over a million cases. Of whiskey or producing over a million cases of whiskey a year wow. um, up until the early 1900s you know up until prohibition came in yeah mm-hmm. and like bush mills uh produced over a million cases for their first ever time 
this year uh, or last year. You had two on the same street doing that. Were, wow. Yeah, and there were two uh, Collinsworth Distillery and Avenue Distillery both doing that um, that volume with you know yeah. thin stones through of each other. Yeah, uh, so and I, it literally literally shut down overnight with prohibition, which is yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's uh, yeah, there's a big you know you know Baron Spirits. There's a huge uh, history in in Ireland, um, and unfortunately, it's just been been decimated over the years. But, no. It's uh, making a comeback. So you're doing your best to bring it back. <laughs> We're getting there. Yeah. Well, look, Will, it's been great to catch up. Um, I'm thrilled that things seem to be really thriving for you at Bullhouse. So I'm sure they're going to continue to go from strength to strength. Um, you know, you you started out fighting against the grain, didn't you, to to even get the get the brewery off the ground and and you know to be able to actually get your your tap room to to the point that it is today was a you know an incredible effort, but I'm so pleased that it's uh, it's thriving, and I'm sure you will continue to do so. Yeah, yeah. cheers, Rob. We will uh, we'll let you know how we get on, and yeah, thanks very much for having us uh, having us back on, and um, it's a pleasure to speak to you as always. All right, thanks very much, Rob. If you enjoyed the podcast, then please tell your drinking friends and leave us a review in your podcast app, as it really helps others discover the show. And of course, if you'd like to help support us and save money in the process, then please head over to www.thisweekincraft.beer and become a member today for just £1.99 a month and get access to exclusive savings at the top UK craft breweries. 